days. In Durban North, where I live, is a rubbish day. And <laughs> that means I get to take out the rubbish, my favorite thing. <laughs> so frustrating. But anyway, um, so this Thursday, I walk out of, my, out of my house, and I walk down the stairs, and I, and I realize there's literally thousands. It, it just rained for a few minutes, and it stopped raining. And I thought, there's an opportunity. I'm going to quickly run down after the rain. After the rain, there's literally thousands and thousands of flying ants coming out of, out of my yard. And uh, within, within seconds, I would say, there, were, there was literally hundreds of birds circling my property. It was awesome. I felt, I felt like super special. <laughs> like, yeah, this is for me, Lord. Anyway, I see these birds circling my property, and then they start catching these flying ants. I, I think I counted like six different birds. I can't tell you the names. There was like a yellow one, multiple black ones, one with like the orange thing here on the wing, <laughs> another black one with a cool tail. There, there was a hardy dog. There's a bunch of animals, but it was awesome. My favorite bird to watch was the swallow. These guys were literally flying at full speed towards these flying ants, and they would just catch them like perfectly every single time. They were so fast that they would catch this flying ant, and then they would be gone, and then there would still be wings just suspended in the air <laughs> for like seven minutes, I think. And then eventually they would fall. It was the best. And there were some other birds, the one with the, with the orange ring, what is that one called? Starling. Is that a starling, Janice? Those ones, they would try to catch like multiple of these flying ants at the same time. I saw one like catching three, literally three of these in his mouth. And some of them dropped them. Anyway, so I get to the bottom and I, and I noticed that after these birds had dropped the flying ants, they were just like regular ants that couldn't fly. In my driveway, just eating like the leftovers, but like within minutes, not even kidding. I think the window of opportunity for these birds to catch these flying ants was probably between 10 and 15 minutes. But within 10 and 15 minutes, there were hundreds of birds who seized the moment, didn't waste any time, and they fed themselves to overflowing. They even had baskets left over to feed the ants. <laughs> the hardy dog, though, I was, very, I was so disappointed in the hardy dog. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I'm seeing all these birds eating, and there's the hardy dog. It looks like glazed over eyes. And every now and then I would see it reaching for one. I was like, dude, that's not your way. Oh, shame, Jacques, he doesn't know how to catch out of this car. I know that. Why does he not just go stand over the hole? You know what I mean? Open his mouth. <laughs> the only bird out of all the six that I at least could count who wasted time, didn't seize the moment, at least as far as I could tell, was the hardy dog. Anyway, based on that hardy dog, I want to read you a passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5. It says this, Be very careful then, hardy dog, <laughs> how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, like the swallow, because the days are evil. Your number one, your number one most valuable, unreplenishable resource. Most valuable, unreplenishable resource is time. How do you use your time is the question. We're obviously in the second, um, this is the second service in our series called Manage Your Word, and we're going to be speaking, Manage Your World. But we're going to be speaking about time this morning. And before you get up and leave, because when I think of time, I'm like, that's going to be boring. How long is this even going to take? You're good at timing, right? You're good at timing a service, but are you good at using your time? 
so a, a, a while ago, uh, I spoke to God about a passage of Scripture, and, and I said to him, Lord, I want to see how many things you could teach me from this one passage of Scripture. And, and the passage I decided to trust God to speak to me through was the story of David and Goliath. And by the end of that year, I had like four sermons ready to preach out of one passage, which was amazing. And then just recently, completely by, by accident, I came across two more messages. I won't be preaching both. I'll be preaching one this morning. We're going to be going through the story of David and Goliath. And I wanted, at first it was subtle. When I looked at this passage, when I felt God speaking to me about timing and how not to waste time through this passage, at first it was subtle, but the more I read over this passage, the louder and louder this message became to me. Won't you journey through me, through, through this passage with me this morning as we discover what God, or how God, or how David uses time. So just some context before we get into the story. So the Israelites were God's chosen people, okay, so they were God's people. They never had a king, like an earthly king. God was their king. So they were governed by God. God used 12 different judges at several times to sort of direct them, but they never had a king. And then one day they cried out to Samuel, the prophet, and said, listen, we want a king. Then God said, okay, Samuel, give them what they want, but um, tell them what's going to happen. So Samuel said, guys, we're going to give you a king. This is not what God wants, but this is what will happen if you choose a king. You will start paying taxes. They said, fine. Your men will have to join the army. Fine. Your woman will have to work in the palace. Fine. You'll have to, your livestock and your grain won't be your property anymore. They said, that's fine. We want a king. We want to be like the rest of the world. They loved that worldly system, and then God said, okay, fine. Then they chose for themselves a king, the first king Israel ever had, and his name was Saul. Saul was his name. This was not a godly king in his approach. Didn't do things the way God wanted, them, wanted him to do it. And then God said to Samuel the prophet, okay, they have chosen for themselves themselves a king. I've chosen for myself a king. And I'll need you to go find a man, his name is Jesse. He's got eight sons, and I need you to anoint one of his sons as the next king. So Samuel says he'll do this. So he goes to Jesse's house. He finds him, and he says to Jesse, God has told me one of your sons are going to be the next king. Won't you gather your sons, all of them, so we can anoint the next king? So Jesse says, okay, fine, this is exciting. So he gets his sons, seven of them show up. And Samuel looks at the oldest brother, his name is Eliab, and he says, surely this must be the next king. And God said, no. Goes to the next one, surely, surely, surely. Gets to the seventh one, and Samuel was like, are these all your sons? Because I thought it was going to be the first one, but then God said, none of these are actually meant to be king. Do you have any other children? Do you have any other sons? And he said, yeah, well, we've got David. We can call him if you want. So now they're wasting time already. If, like, if you're into managing your time, now I'm like, if I was Saul, I'd be like, dude, I came here all this way. Why didn't you just bring all your sons? Now they have to go find David somewhere in a field. Then they get David. Then he rushes back. Then David, now he's all flustered. Then Saul says, okay, this is the one. This is the guy who God has chosen to be the next king. He anoints him as, as the next king. Pours oil over his head. This is him. At this stage, they say David was between 10 and 15 years old. They don't know an exact time, but they do know that he was merely a kid. He was merely a child. Here's the question that comes up in my mind. Why was David not invited in the first place? Many years ago, I decided that I was going to try before I die master three areas of my life. 
First one was family, or faith, then my family, then my future. I, was, I decided to invest time into mastering those areas in my life. When we look at David's family dynamics, I wonder what was going on there. Did, did they just forget about David? If so, bad parenting. I think Jesse needs to come have a conversation with Rich and join our next family seminar, right? If they forgot him, bad parenting. If they knew about him, didn't forget him, but still didn't invite him, bad parenting. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't get invited to get, be in the family picture. You know what I mean? There's a selfie. Guys, Saul is here. This is like a celebrity, right? Saul is coming to your house. At least get a family picture. Plus, David, one of your brothers may be the next king. So at least be part of the family photo when we anoint your brother. No, no, no. David wasn't invited. I wonder if, I mean, if you put yourself in David's shoes, I wonder what he felt. Dad, why didn't you invite me? Am I not worthy? Are the sheep more important? Because that's what I was doing. Why did you not invite me, Dad? I wonder if Jesse actually invested time into his family dynamic. I realized a few years ago, many years ago, that three days in the week, I didn't see my family at all, except in the morning for a few minutes. So on a Tuesday, I would see them in the morning, then I'd work from eight right through to nine o'clock in the evening. By the time I got home, kids were asleep, Cara was asleep, didn't see them. Same thing happened on a Friday. I'd see them in the morning, then I'd come to work only at two, and then I would get home after 12 didn't see my family at all. And then Sundays was the same because I was busy for multiple services. So then for a couple of hours. And I realized that if I want to raise my children to be godly men and women of God, I needed to change the way I do things. I needed to change the way I invest my time into them. Essentially, I have two hours a day. <laughs> Out of 24 hours, I have two hours a day to spend with them. If you do the math, you probably have the same. I get home at 5.30-ish. Kids go to bed at 7.30. Yeah, not 7 because I want an extra 30 minutes to spend with them. But at some stage, I needed to shift my thinking about how I spend that time. Is this like, like, the, you know, like the heated moment? Everyone's cooking, children are bathing, then they're fighting. Is that gonna be the rest of my life? Or am I gonna shift that? Am I gonna find a way to spend that time and turn it into quality time? And now you'll find me between 5.30 and 7 on the floor with my son and daughter playing Barbie dolls and cars. Both Levi and Peyton both play with both of those, by the way. It's exciting. And I also play with Barbies, apparently. But I needed to shift my thinking. I decided that two hours a day for me to invest in them isn't enough. They're bombarded by the world constantly. I only have two hours. How are you investing your time? A few years later, there's war now. Under Saul, the king's leadership, Israel, they're engaging in war with the Philistines. David's oldest brothers, three of them, are in the army. So David's dad, Jesse, says, David, why don't you go to your brothers, take them some snacks, and just report back and see how they're doing. So David goes. The next morning he goes. He doesn't waste any time. I love this about him. He's just like that swallow. Opportunity arises, small window. He uses that moment. He goes the next morning, finds his brothers. He greets them, and then he hears Goliath taunt the army of God, and he defies them. And David said, what is, who is this guy? How long has this guy been taunting the army of God? And then they respond, this guy's been doing this for 40 days and 40 nights, twice a day. That's like 80 times. 
And then the Bible says that every time he came out and shouted at them, they would quiver with fear. That's from the Lion King, by the way. That was just for fun. <laughs> quiver with fear. And then David's like, what's happening, guys? And then he says to some of the soldiers, like, so what will happen to the guy? What will the king do for the guy who kills this giant? And then they say, well, great reward. You get to marry one of his daughters, plus you never have to pay taxes forever. You and your whole family. David's like, okay, fine. But then his brother hears the story. Won't you read with me 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. Listen to how his brother responds when he sees David. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. Why was he angry, I wonder? What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Why does this guy give a chip on his shoulder? I mean, his brother just bought him snacks. It was bread and cheese. I mean, a cheese saw me during army. It's awesome. Why is he frustrated with him? I wonder if he's still annoyed with his brother for taking his place as king. I wonder. There's no evidence to, to prove that. There's no scripture that says that. But I wonder if he's holding that against his brother. And because he hasn't expressed this, there's an issue. I want to speak to this real quick. Sigmund Freud said this. He says, unexpressed emotions never die. Let me say that again. Unexpressed emotions never die. They are buried alive and come forth later in uglier ways. At this stage, David was between 16 and 19 years old. So for at least four or five years, his brother potentially has been holding this thing against him, not expressing this issue. Wasting four or five years of his life, constantly being frustrated by this family member. Are there some people in your family who you need to express your emotions to? Because every time you think about that thing, your heart starts racing, you start feeling frustrated from scratch. It's almost like you relive that moment over and over and over again. Stop wasting time. Address it. How much of your time are you investing in your family? And how much time are you wasting? How much time are you wasting? David, after his brother says this to him, he says, what did I do? I just asked a question. Then he doesn't take the bait. How awesome is that? He doesn't waste time by engaging in an argument with his brother because I would have, I would have engaged in an argument, potentially fist fight. I'm joking. I've got Jesus in my heart. We shouldn't be fist fighting. This oak ignores his brother, turns around, finds another soldier, asks him the same question. They say, well, big reward for the person who kills him. And then, without wasting time, he goes straight to the king. He goes, he drops off sandwiches, but then he goes straight to the king. And then he says to the king, don't worry about this Philistine. Don't worry about this Philistine, David says. King Saul responses, don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way, David, that you can fight this guy and win because he's been a soldier of war since his youth. What have you done? So now David needs to establish some credibility. He's like, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. Choose me. Now, <laughs> now this is a giant. King Saul is scared. The whole army is afraid. Here comes David, not even in the army because he's too young. He need to be 20 to be part of the army. Too young. David says, now I'll fight him I'll, any, any day. Zero credibility, right? So now David thinks, like, I need to convince this king. So he starts giving him a CV. Then he says, Saul, I have been attending 
my father's flock. That's, a, that's what he says. He's trying to convince the king. Like, no, I've been taking care of sheep. I'm going to kill this guy. <laughs> Luckily, he doesn't stop there. Then he says, while I was taking care of them, when the lion came, when the bear came, I ran after it when it took the sheep. I tore it from his mouth and clubbed him. And when the lion or wild animal came after me, I would take it at the jaw and club it to death. Like the sparrow. The moment something happened, you responded. Didn't wait like Eliab for years and years and years before he did something. He responded in the moment without wasting any time. He did the same thing this day, this morning. He shows up there and he's like, Saul, God delivered me from the claws of a lion, the jaws of a bear, what is Goliath? Just for your information, a lion stands just over two meters tall. A male lion, if he stands up on his hind feet. A bear, about 2.5 meters. Some bears can be up, up to 2.5 meters tall if they stand up. Goliath was just under three meters. So David says, well, if I fight the giant bear, fight the giant lion, fight the giant human, same thing to me. God will give me victory. Takes action, this guy. Doesn't waste a single moment. But what I love about this is his faith. Second thing I wanted to invest in is my faith. What I love about David is his faith and his trust in the Lord. I love how he says, God will deliver this guy into my hands. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to answer. When do you trust someone? Do you trust someone you just met? Do you trust, do you, would you trust a random person? Or do you only really trust people you really know really well? No doubt, you trust the people you know. And for David to have this amount of trust in God, he must have known God really, really well. He must have spent a lot of time engaging and wrestling and speaking to God for him to say, easy. Imagine saying that, easy, I can do this. God will give me the victory. How much of your time are you investing in your faith? When Goliath stands at your door taunting you, what is your response? Is it like Saul and the rest of the army? Or is it like David? I can do this. I can take this guy. Easy. Just a question. How much time are you spending investing in your faith? How much time are you wasting? Eventually Saul agrees. He's like, okay. Okay, fine. Go, David, in the name of the Lord. Saul, the king, trusts this young guy to go fight his battle for him. It's awesome because Saul was the king. David was the king who was meant to be. And then Saul surrenders, I love this, to David's leadership. David says, I'll do this. Let me go. And Saul says, okay, go. And then David goes. He goes to the river. He finds five round stones, puts it in his bag, along with the shepherd's staff and a slingshot. He's going to take Saul with five stones and a slingshot and a stick. Even, Saul, even Goliath was offended by this. He says, am I a dog that you come to me with a stick? It's ridiculous. David's response is, you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Will you approach your giants in the name of the Lord? David didn't come with conventional, conventional weaponry. He didn't also arrive with a sword and a spear and all those things. Went in the name of the Lord, and what he had. And then he didn't waste time. 
Goliath makes fun of him, he taunts him, he says, I'll feed your body to the, to the animals and all these awesome things. And David says, well, I'm gonna kill you and cut your head off. I'm not even joking. That's not the Sunday school version, Janet. I'm gonna kill you and cut your head off. Then the Bible says, Goliath rushes towards David, and then David, I love this, I love this, he doesn't run away, he runs, he runs towards Goliath. He runs towards him. No wasting time for this oak. Not gonna wait around for him to come to me. What's the point of that? You come, okay, fine. No, 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 no. He runs towards him, just like he did with the bear and the lion. He runs, he doesn't waste time. Takes the slingshot, kills him first, first try. Stone goes into his head. Goliath fumbles, he dies, and, and David honored his word. And then he cut his head off. That's what he did. It's in the Bible. David had faith in two things. Third thing I said, you need to invest in your future. David had faith in two things. He had massive faith in God. Then he had massive faith in his ability. Just think about this for a moment. This guy's going to go fight the most scary guy on the planet. And he only chooses, takes five stones. Five round ones, which means he selected them. If it was me, I would have taken like a few handfuls, put them in my pockets, shirt pocket, in my backpack. This guy doesn't. He's like, ah, oh, I don't know. I could take him. Five stones. How does he have that confidence? No doubt he spent no time wasting while he was tending after the flock. When I picture a shepherd, at least David, I imagine him just lying under a tree with like a straw in his mouth, legs over in the shade, just looking at, oh, there's a lion. Let me go catch it. No, no, I don't think that's what he did. For him to be so confident in his ability speaks of him investing in his skills, speaks of him choosing to hone his skills, master his craft. I remember when I was in high school, I had this massive complex about talent. I honestly didn't think I had any talent. I mean, when it came to sport, I was average. I was always like 100 meter sprint, second or third, never first, average. Came to rugby, played rugby, played first team rugby. I always felt like I was average. Couldn't do any public speaking. I told my matric, um, for my trick final oral, I said to my teacher, give me a zero. Because I was too scared. And she said, no, 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 can't give you a zero. And then she just asked me, tell me about your salvation. I was like, yeah, I can tell you about that. And that was my final oral. How awesome is that? My point is I had this complex that I had no talent. And then at some stage I discovered that you don't need talent. I discovered I didn't need talent. I discovered that I could learn on demand. <laughs> I discovered that I didn't need to be a great communicator, but that I could learn to become great at communicating. And I think I've just started my journey. Hopefully by the time I die, when I'm 78 years old, maybe Janice, I'll be good at what I do. But I've chosen to invest in my skills. I've chosen to pour every spare moment into developing myself. How much are you investing into your future? How much time are you wasting? So many people want a great, tomorrow, great future, but they don't want to invest in tomorrow. I'm gonna wrap this up. I mentioned three areas that I chose to master, or at least work on, become great at before I die. Family, faith, and future. Are any of those areas where you need to start investing more time in. You know, when we got married, our, our wedding was expensive. We had to do hair and makeup for the guys. 
most expensive. Hair and makeup for the girls. You had to get clothes. You had to get a venue, reception. It was really expensive. We got married at the College Sheen. I didn't pay for it, so it was fun. <laughs> Weddings are expensive. You know that you can get divorced. I saw an ad in Business Insider for a thousand rand. If both parties are happy with, with the kids, both parties are happy with asset allocation, thousand rand. I think it's even cheaper if you don't involve any lawyers. I think you fill in a form, pay a fee. We spend all this money on our wedding day, but not a cent in investing in our relationships. Not a cent. How then do you invest in your family? I'm gonna go through this really quickly, hopefully not rush it. How do you invest in your family? Maybe just start with spending time with them and be there. For two hours, maybe, maybe more. Spend time with them and be there. Attend a workshop. Don't wait till it's too late. Got a whole bunch of workshops coming up. Richard's gonna be speaking about marriage. If you've got a great marriage, you're the first person that needs to be there. You need to learn how to make it better and keep growing. Often people think when I attend a seminar like that, it's because I'm failing. No, because you're investing. Attend those workshops. Buy a book. Learn how to be a good husband. Learn how to be a good wife. Learn how to be a good parent. Your faith. How do you invest in your faith? Why don't you just start with, if you're a morning person, spend just five minutes speaking to God. Spend the next five minutes reading a portion of Scripture. Maybe choose the same one and read it over and over again and see how awesome God is and how much He will speak to you. Another simple thing you can do. Maybe take notes in, in the service. That's like a habit I got into when I just got saved. Started taking notes. God, what are you saying to me this morning? Great. That was one thing. Awesome. When Richard's preaches, I get like 17 things. The point is, start taking notes. It's very simple. Got a prayer retreat coming up. Part of your investing in your faith is you need to pray. You know how bad your prayer life is. Let's be honest. Why don't you just come to this prayer retreat to get further details, to speak to Cindy, check the, the little bulletin, check our websites, phone the office, but invest. Next thing you need to invest in is your future. How do you invest in your future? Stop wasting time. I literally use every spare moment to increase my capacity. If you come to, uh, if you come to um, the workshop in two weeks, I'm doing time, Debbie's doing time this week, I'm gonna tell you how to read two books a month without stealing your work's time or your family time. Last year, I read 24 books. It's not impressive for some people. For me, it's massively impressive because the year before that, I read five. Five books in the whole year. I just use my spare time, and I'll tell you how to do that if you come to this workshop, but you not, stop wasting time. Every second of your time, use it to increase your capacity. Both the hardy dar and the swallow at the same window of opportunity, at the same amount of time, the one chose to maximize their time and to not waste a second. The other one chose to sit on a wire with glaze over eyes. What will you choose to be? Let's pray. Lord, this, um, this morning we come to you and uh, you look at the subject of time. And it's so clear today that if we can master our time, we can master our lives. Lord, help us to pay more attention to how we use the time you have given us. It's running out. How do we maximize the rest of our lives? Give this congregation to you. Lord, won't you use them? Won't you speak to them? Won't you help us all to use our time better, to expand your